0: Again, and um, we are talking about the Passover this morning. Uh, but by way of introduction, uh, the Exodus is bound up with at least two huge controlling themes. The first is the reconstitution of the Israelites, whereby God makes a covenant with Abraham that they will become a nation, and the second is that this Exodus story forms a great deal of discussion throughout the rest of the entire Old Testament. For instance, the 10 Commandments are prefaced by these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then the commandments begin. Or Psalm 77, Your way, O God, is holy. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people. Which, of course, is a reference to the Exodus. And it goes on to say, When the waters saw you, O God, they were afraid. Your way was through the sea. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Or in Habakkuk, uh, one of the minor prophets, um, who asks God a question because he wants to know how God thinks. And so uh, his question to God is, were you angry with the waters? Um, he, he just wants to get a feel for what's going on in God's mind. And those sort of patches, passages recur throughout the Old Testament. And then when we come to the New Testament, it's not long before the theme of the exodus is picked up matthew <coughs> excuse me matthew 2 verse 13 to 15 jesus is taken down to egypt by mary and joseph escaping the wrath of herod and this we are told is to fulfill the prophecy that out of egypt i called my son a phrase which up until that point was a reference To the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Matthew 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And we have several quotes from the immediate aftermath of the Exodus from Deuteronomy. In Luke at the Transfiguration, we are told Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus and spoke about his departure. The word in Greek is exodus. And it's meant to take the reader's mind back to the exodus. And so it's easy to see Luke's focus when 20 20 verses later, we read, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go towards Jerusalem. In other words, towards that time when he would depart. We're only a third of the way through Luke and everything that is said and done, all the parables, the miracles, everything comes under this anticipated exodus. The cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the new earth, a new promised land. And that is why Paul can say, Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You will remember that the Israelites were strangers in a strange land. They'd lived in fear and bondage for 430 years. And eventually, God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, Let my people go. And as we saw last week, Pharaoh was stubborn and variably hardened his own heart, or God hardened it. And 10 plagues followed, of which the last and the most awful was the death of the firstborn. Now the Passover takes place at the time of the Exodus. And the central question that has always been asked at the celebration of the Passover is the question, why is this night different from all other nights? Passover is nearly always celebrated in families, not in congregations. And this question is traditionally asked by the youngest child, which underlines the practice of passing down the story from generation to generation. On that first Passover, as we read in Exodus chapter 12, the people of God are instructed to sacrifice a lamb. They are to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the lintels of their tent doors, which would have been just like poles, Tied together. They were to roast the lamb and they were to eat all of it. They had to be ready. We're told elsewhere um, that the bread that they baked in such circumstances would have to be unleavened. There was no time to wait for yeast to rise. If they were going to make bread, it had to be done as quickly as possible. They had to have their shoes on, their clothes ready to move fast. In fact, the Hebrew says in Exodus 12, that phrase that we're familiar with, uh, gird up your loins, which was um, uh, a simple action whereby the long tunic that they wore would be hitched up underneath their belt and over the belt so that they could move fast. So you can imagine when the uh, so the father of the prodigal son saw him coming in the distance. He would have girded up his loins and ran out to meet him. Similarly, when uh, Paul talks in uh, in Galatians, uh, yes, Ephesians, sorry, about um, spiritual warfare and the the armor that we put on in Ephesians six, he talks about the belt of truth, and the truth prevents us. From tripping up, as it were. And um, under the Roman um, armor, they would have first pulled up their toga and put it under their belt and then over their belt, which would provide uh, much more padding for them under their armor, but also enable them to move quickly. And um, they had to have a staff in their hands, it says so that they they were ready in all aspects to get out of their, uh, their tents and move. And then they're told that when the angel of death came, that angel would pass over them and they'll be safe. Now, the sacrifice of the lamb and the daubing of its blood around the doorways was a sign for God. A sign for God that the sacrificed lamb would protect them from the angel of death. They were told that when God saw the blood, he would pass over them. And it's noteworthy that they didn't need to know more about the blood than that. Why this gory action would save them. They just had to obey, they just had to do it. The blood was for God to see, not for them to understand. And the understanding is unraveled later particularly when Jesus in the New Testament is called the Lamb of God by John the Baptist. And suddenly, Abel's acceptable sacrifice, Abraham's sacrifice of a ram instead of Isaac on the very hills where Jesus was crucified, the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, all that becomes clear. God's salvation God's protection from sin is linked with the death of a lamb. We might even surmise that God replacing Adam and Eve's fig leaves with the skin of an animal was from a lamb, because we'd expect the theme of the lamb to run through the whole salvation story from beginning to end. In Exodus 12, God sets into motion a memorial for future generations to commemorate this unique historical event. We don't have time now to go through the significance of the whole Passover meal, but let me unpack some significant parts for you. As this was the meal that Jesus had with his disciples, for he died, he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you. That's Luke. 22 verse 15. Our communion meal is a poor shadow of the wonderful significance that it was to those first disciples. First of all, there were four cups of wine, not one. And they symbolize the four promises that God made to Moses. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Secondly, I will rescue them from... Uh, I will rescue you from their bondage. Thirdly, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And fourthly, I will take you as my people. The first cup, I will bring you out, speaks of sanctification and it's drunk at the beginning of the meal. The second cup, I will rescue you, speaks of praise and deliverance and it's taken after the singing of Psalm 113 through to Psalm 117. That's a long song. It was known as the Great Hallel. Matthew 26 verse 30 records that Jesus and the disciples after that Passover meal, they sang a song before he went out to Gethsemane. That's what they sang. And these Psalms contain verses Like the cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave overcame me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Think of Jesus singing that as he was about to go out to Gethsemane. It included verses like, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It includes a verse like, I shall not die, but live. And it includes, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. So just imagine Jesus singing those words before the trauma of Gethsemane and the cross. The third cup, I will redeem you, is the cup of blessing and redemption, which is taken after the meal. And this is the cup that the early church decided that we would have as the one cup, the most important one of blessing and redemption for the eucharist the fourth cup known as the cup of completion i would take you as my people is taken towards the end of the meal and throughout his life jesus would have begun every sabbath and every festival day remembering his father as creator the giver of rest and he would praise god for wine that gladdens the heart and for bread that strengthens us And as they reclined at the table, they didn't sit, they didn't stand as as we might. They reclined, and that's why it was important to wash their feet before they had the meal. And um, Jesus would have lifted that first cup, the cup of sanctification, and said the blessing of sanctification known as the Kiddush. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And then the unleavened bread is called matzo. It was kept in a linen pouch known as the matzo tash. And the matzo tash has three compartments. In modern Judaism, there is no agreement as to the symbolism of that. Some people say it's the priests, the Levites, and then the congregation. Others say it's the three patriarchs, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. What they do agree on is that the outer compartments together remind us of the double portion of manna gathered on the sixth day, known as the lachemone. The central pocket is known as the bread of affliction, one, the humble, poor bread, and is always considered as a sign of the coming Messiah, the Messiah who would deliver his people from oppression. And it was the Jewish tradition for the host to take the middle matzo from that middle pocket to break. And that's what Jesus did. He took that piece of bread from the middle, saying, this is my body given to you, thereby signifying two truths. Number one, he was saying that he was the humble messiah he said in john chapter 6 i am the bread of life that comes down from ha- from heaven your father ate the manna in the wilderness and they died but this is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat and not die i am the living bread which came down from heaven the bread that i shall give is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. Secondly, the three matzo pockets could symbolize the Trinity. The matzo tash is one pouch in three parts. The Hebrew word for one that describes that is ahad, E-C-H-A-D. Two or more components making one, just as in Genesis, morning and evening become one day, Yom achad. Or a man and a woman become one flesh, Lebasha Echad. The Apostle Paul likens Jesus to the Passover lamb. Cleanse out the old leaven, he says, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. And echoing John the Baptist, who proclaims early in Jesus's ministry, behold the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And that, of course, has entered our liturgy under the name Anya's Day. So I hope that makes the communion meal a little bit more meaningful for, for, for you. And, um, and how it, it ties in with the Exodus studies that we're looking at and um, the Passover meal.